Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zero Cafe podcast. And this time uh, we have Colin and uh, Manuel uh, in the studio, in their home studios. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, a topic that um, it's been discussed uh, many times before, I think, on LinkedIn in, in different uh, comment sections uh, deep down. Uh, I know my, both of my guests uh, today are very passionate uh, about this, uh, the, the topic. And um, it's about what separates the good from the great programs. And, um, and both of my guests have seen uh, quite a lot of programs uh, because of the different um, software tools they both offer to zero specialists and uh, companies uh, that um, um, at least say they have an experimentation culture or want to <laughs> want to implement an experimentation culture. So let's uh, dive into this uh, topic. And uh, Colin, yeah, you're you're the one that uh, uh, really want to, to talk about uh, this. So I'll let you uh, lead in uh, introducing um, uh, your thoughts on this uh, topic, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Guido. It's nice to be with you guys uh, and have this uh, talk uh, in podcast mode because we certainly see it a lot in the comment section. Um, my big, uh, you know, interest in this comes from the pain point that I see when I talk to different like program leaders, you know, they have this on the one hand, they have like this excited side of their brain, which is like, they're passionate about what they do. They think they're going to affect change. They, they couldn't be happier to work in experimentation. And then there's this quiet, like sad side on the other side of their brain, which is like what they want to have happen and what is actually happening are, are two different things. And it's this pain that interests me. And I'm always curious to figure out like, how do you solve this? What's going on? Why are you having these sort of unreconcilable uh, situations where experimentation is this fantastic thing and you want to be known as the next Netflix because of your experimentation work. But at the same time, you, you go home to like, uh, you know, a sad um, uh, confession to your partner about why your company can't seem to get it together. So I dived into this and, you know, really what it comes down to is from my perspective is that we, we make a big mistake. We think that a great test is equivalent to a great program. And we just think that the merit of experimentation speaks for itself. And when we make this big assumption, we just set ourselves up for failure. And, uh, and that's what I've always tried to solve since I come in to look at these programs is like, how do you get out of that trap? How do you uh, break free of this idea that your that the test that you're building and the program that you want to be known for are not the same thing? Do you think this is like a, a classic example of the Dunning-Kruger effect where all the newbies make all the mistakes and, and, and have no idea what's actually happening? Or is it also with more experienced people that, they, that they're still on the, on the wrong path uh, uh, in their experimentation programs? That's a great question. Uh, it's definitely that effect. Um, but, you know, how uh, acute it is. Um, depends on the maturity of the person. So I think even pro programs that are led by really experienced leaders, they still can't see the uh, forest through the trees, right? Um, one question that I always am impressed to see the answer on, and I encourage everybody to ask it internally or wherever the heck they work at, is which would you rather? Would you rather work for a great company with a bad experimentation program? Or would you rather work for a bad company with a great experimentation program? And I am shocked at the number of people that always say, and again, these are experienced experimentation leaders or CRO specialists, over half, maybe even like up to like 70% say that they'd rather work for a great experimentation program. And 
And to me, this is a, an emblem, a symptom of suffering from that Dane and Kruger effect. It's that you, you believe that a great program is going to affect change when in fact, no, uh, the, it, it will be swallowed up and ignored at best uh, if, if it's part of a bad company. And so it's really important that anyone that's excited about experimentation work inside of a great company, even if that current experimentation program is either brand new or it's been there for years and is bad and needs to be needs needs to kick in the butt. So um, uh, yeah, I don't think it's it, it's only uh, newbies. It's it can be to anyone that's worked in the industry. Manuel, something uh, something you recognize or I'm, I'm, oh yeah, definitely. The, but I'd... without opening the firehouse right away, but <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try and be as uh, subtle as possible to start with. But well, let's at least start, I'll start out with subtle. This... We can we can. <laughs> okay, I'll start out with this statement, right? The practitioners that you talk about that go into these um, programs all you know starry eyed ready to affect change and ready to um, build a great program or continue a great program are being set up for failure from the, from the from day one and there are two things at play here there are two things at play the first thing is what I call or what I've kind of tried to coin this not coin this term just use the term the instant instagramization of experimentation right and the more i look into pro into programs one-on-one -on -one, i realize actually how many holes are there in these programs but you don't really see this that much online you don't see that much at conferences you don't see that much at, at you know when you talk to people because everyone's trying to look good as you said colin Uh, you know, they go back home and they, they they have a sad face on. The reality is a lot of experimentation specialists and practitioners are dealing with the same thing because they look out into the uh, into LinkedIn. I'm using that as a, you know, the most common social media platform. You look at conferences and what's been talked about most. How do we build a culture of experimentation? Sorry, Kido, I know there's an award behind you, but, um, you know, how do we build this culture of experimentation? Um, and here's the thing I've realized over time. You can't build a culture of experimentation because in order to build culture, you need to be someone with an overarching authority. I'm not saying authority as in you've got authority over a small department or something, overarching authority. So someone in C-level, someone in senior management who can build that culture top down because that's where culture starts. You go into a company that culture already exists there which brings me to the second point most experimentation programs are an add-on in a company they're not the reason the business does business if that makes sense they're not there because the business says hey we want to innovate and we want experimentation to be right at the core of this and i'll give you an example without naming names there's a there's a retail brand uh, that i got talking to that um never did experimentation, never did much in digital, and now they wanted to start that. And they, they hired someone, brought someone in and said, we're going to start doing experiments. We're going to be digital first, and we're going to get this going, right? This person signed on because they heard the right things, and they thought, yeah, this is right. We're going to go ahead and build this from the ground up, hire people, and so on and so forth. And then they realized, actually, Uh, they're running into problems with development teams because the development team doesn't really care about it that much. They're running into problems with other 
other people, but how do they affect that change when they don't have anyone up above having their back and saying, if the development team is giving you problems, our initiative is to run experiments. So we're going to get them in line to help you with this. But no, that isn't the reality. So what you end up finding is the this world, this unattainable Instagram version where people are saying, oh, these guys in Netflix, as you brought up Netflix, or uh, Booking, which cons- constantly comes up. And the more I look into them as well, the, what I see is they're engineering-led experimentation programs. They're engineers running experimentation programs. These are not, it's not a cultural thing in the way that we're trying to affect it, where it's, it's all over the place. Yes, to some extent they're doing it, but they've got the resources They've got tons of engineers on this and they can launch an experiment without much effort, right? In sharp contrast, sorry, in sharp contrast, you got others that are not booking, that are not Netflix, that are struggling because no one else other than that silo sees the value of experimentation. So it's like, hey, you do your work in your little silo, send us the reports, we'll glance at it and that's it. So culture is a myth that is never attainable. So that's my subtle start, if that's okay, Peter. Wait, 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 hold on. Can we clarify that? Say culture, creating a culture of experimentation as a single practitioner is a myth. Is that more accurate? Or is it a myth in in general? It's a myth in general because you cannot build culture from the top down. You you need to have a a facilitator that facilitates it from the uh, uh, bottom up. Sorry, you can't build it bottom up. You facilitate it from bottom up, but you have someone that's building it from the top down. So like a sandwich approach, if anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. TM, yeah. I'll TM a sandwich approach. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, um, how, what is culture anyways? What, what is this culture of experimentation anyways? And you know, then, maybe uh, let's Manuel, explore that a bit more. The, with, within, with your definition, have you ever seen it implemented um, uh, successfully then? If, if, if you start out as a company, like I said, most, most experimentation programs are an add-on. Uh, have you ever seen a comp- an existing company um, implementing an experimentation culture <laughs> or an experimentation? Micro-culture. Re- re- disregard the culture. Have you ever seen them uh, implement an experimentation program successfully? To some level, but not to the level that where, where the entire experimentation is driving forward with experimentation front and center. So you have like pockets of it. Uh, and this is where we're seeing some kind of successes where it is kind of moving in that right direction. But the, the, the way I look at it is what they're doing is not building a culture. What they're doing is they're building an ecosystem where experimentation can thrive. And that is a completely different thing. Uh, so when you're talking about culture, um, you know, when you ask people what, what what is culture, how do you get, how do you um, build culture, and what do you hear often? Get them excited, get them, uh, make it visible, shout out, do roadshows, do workshops, and everything. And those are all like tick box exercises. And that to me is is you can't measure it over time. You can't measure engagement. You can't measure that excitement. But an ecosystem is a much more measurable, a much more I'm not saying it's easy, and this is not the point of it. It's still a lot of hard work, and it can be done gradually. But what I'm seeing is gradual success, not like what we're saying, like everyone suddenly wakes up and says, wow, we need to run 
hundreds of experiments today because that's the only thing we need to do. There's, you know, and businesses. E- ecosystem on- still sounds sounds very uh, broad to me, but it's more like your, your own little habitat with <laughs> those five but you, to ten you people. You grow the ecosystem. That actually, you grow the ecosystem. Yeah. That's the thing. You measure the growth of that ecosystem over time, right. and that's what you can do. You can't build culture because again, you're not in charge of that culture if you don't have an overarching authority of uh, to do it. And I right. see this. The reason. Sorry, Colin. I'll I'll let you do some talk. No, 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 no. I'm I'm not um, in my head, man. I'm digging it. Keep going. The, the the challenge I see is when you start going beyond the core people that are doing experimentation to start with. So you know, center of excellence, for example, that center of excellence model where people are where they're running tests, and now it suddenly starts going over to PMs who've never run a test before in their life, and they they they've been uh, part of this roadshow and a workshop where they said, look at all these amazing tests we've run. And here's how to craft this hypothesis, and here's how to run this uh, test. Here's the access to the rule. Go on, see, see in, in a few months or whatever. And then you look at the quality of those tests, and it's not there. It's just not there. So you can't just make people excited about it because, one, they've got their other work to do. They're not going to care about it. Secondly, if they're made to do it, the quality is just not there. So you're ending up with, like, experimentation programs as they grow, but without solid foundations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but but, but uh, it it definitely sounds familiar. And again, like I have to be, we we should all be careful. We're not. I don't want to come across as like knowing the answers, like how to establish, like how to get experimentation from being this sort of uh, bastard child of like optimization to like the and you know uh, principled practice of growth. I mean, that is a huge uh, challenge and the three of us aren't going to solve it on this podcast. What I think we have to like go back to is again, ask what separates a good from a great program? Because if you can start to move in those incremental steps towards greatness, then you at least have a shot, right? So I don't think Manuel or anybody here, or certainly I'm not saying, you know, if you don't have a culture of experimentation then you have failed as an optimizer, that is not what I think you're saying. Yeah. So I think, um, again, you know, call it an ecosystem, call it, you asked a good question, you know, like, has it ever worked? Have you ever seen it? And I can tell you, um, yeah, I I don't want to be the one up here telling you like, oh yeah, let me point out like three stars, uh, companies that have like our experimentation led. Those are extremely rare. And guess what? When you talk to like the Spotify's, the Netflix, you talk to the experimentation managers there, they don't talk to you about this beautiful culture of experimentation. That's the dirty secret. They talk to you about the same things that I promise you that you are talking about, which is no one pays attention. Everyone's busy. My boss doesn't like <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard as hell to get anything done. And it's just that they have created the conditions for experimentation to flourish in the best uh, way that that organization can tolerate at that time. And that's really what everybody should be trying to do is yep. like get the yep. most out of what you can get in, in your particular environment. And I don't want to make this like a, a talk about solutions, but you know, again, like if you make it difficult for developers to build a test, guess what? They're, they're going to walk away quickly. So again, like there are a few things that, you know, from a, from a, platforming perspective that you can do. Um, you know, one of the things that we're really proud about at Chameleon is that because we're a unified platform, you don't have to learn a new way of how to build a server-side test. Uh, you can just continue to use some of the same things, principles that you've used for your client side or web experiments and how you build a 
uh, server-side tests. And just by making it easier on developers where all they have to do is just code the experiment and then the, the experimentation strategist, the product manager, whoever it is is responsible for that program can come in and like uh, choose their uh, whatever KPIs they want to uh, select, uh, choose whatever segments they want to target the test towards without having to pull that developer in. Well, guess what? That's a huge win because the developer is delighted not to touch that. And, and so is the, the product manager, for instance. They're, they don't want to touch the developers with a 10-foot pole. So if you can do things that make it easy for a test to be built, you're going to already have a huge shot of uh, getting testing to flourish in your environment. I'm curious, uh, Colin. So um, you provide the platform that makes it super easy uh, to do this. So in terms of when we talk about conditions for experimentation in a company, uh, that checkbox should be <laughs> should be uh, checked. Uh, but then I can imagine that you still get uh, new clients on board um, that fail rolling out experiments. So I'm interested to see uh, how um, so there might be internal uh, issues still lurking around uh, that prevent them from from setting up that experimentation program. Is is that something uh, you can share? What what's still even if the technology works, uh, what are the first things that those people are run into? Well, I think you know. It, it, again, here at Chameleon, we're designed to like work for mature. We we call them experimentation leaders and product led growth teams. So you know, we're not designed to support say first movers. Um, so we've already kind of like helped solve that problem by making sure that whoever comes on board knows that um, they need to at a reach a certain level before they can start to drive this performance race car, so to speak. Um, but that doesn't mean that, it, you know, they've got, again, that we're perfect or that they're perfect and they're not going to run into any troubles. I think the key really is to, uh, again, go with what you're uh, capable of doing, right? Um, don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, so I, we always use that. And I know you all are familiar with it. It's a crawl, uh, crawl, walk, run. So I think it's really important for anybody, even if you think you're great at it, to always first start with the easy stuff before you launch into like more sophisticated stuff. And essentially our onboarding and our customer support is designed that way too, right? So at month six, we're going to be checking in with you to make sure that you're building a bit more sophisticated test than where you were at month, say three. And then at month 12, we're going to really needle you to say like, you should be uh, maybe doing some testing that's going to take place over multiple channels or start to pull in like different kinds of more sophisticated segments. So again, um, yeah, there's always going to be roadblocks, but if you're pragmatic about what you, how you should start and what you should start with, then uh, you, you should be in good shape. And if, and if the technology, your, for example, your solution is blocking you in any way, that's a huge red flag. Uh, and again, I just yeah. wake up every day in my side and the whole goal is to like eliminate those red flags as best as possible. And, and like I said, one of the best ways we've found to eliminate those red flags is to be, um, use something that we call like be, accept that silos exist. Don't think that you can go in and break down silos and, and have the developer suddenly wake up one day drinking the Kool-Aid and say, oh, what tests are we going to start building today, boss? Um, no, instead, accept that developer doesn't want to see you and wants the easiest, simplest way to actually uh, build code because um, that's all they wake up caring about. And then the same time for like, a, you know, if somebody on the, on the marketing team, if they like using GA and you like using Mixpanel or Heap, 
if you force them to use Mixpanel or Heap to understand the performance of a test, you have immediately shot yourself in the foot. Like uh, that, that person will refuse to work with you in the future because you're asking them to take on too much. Manuel, what are some uh, some red flags for you when you see uh, new clients coming in? So I look at it more from a behavioral point of view and an organizational point of view. So things like that, like where, you know, what Colin rightly said is the other people that are not involved in your world are going to almost by default put up roadblocks, right? And making it easy for them is is key. You want to make it easy for them to get involved and to get get the job done. Uh, I also go back to one point, which I said earlier, which is there needs to be a priority for them to do something. Because uh, I know in organizations, people will put up a fight. I know, Colin, you just said about this example of using GA or mixed panel or so on and so forth. But I know for a fact, like I remember like um, in some conversation, someone was talking about an accounting software. And I was like, why, you, you know, why do you use that outdated accounting software and stuff like that? And they're like, well, it's the rule in the business that needs to be done in a certain way. And again, it goes back to that point, right? Of who above is setting the rules for this game and who can help you achieve that. So if you are also achieving, uh, if you are also running into issues with other teams and stuff, and yeah, you cannot break silos on your own. You need to have other people with you. So the challenges we see are, again, those interpersonal challenges. We're trying to take experimentation to wider teams because that's now the remit, but I don't have the authority as a practitioner to just enforce that way of working. So I need to charm them. I need to try and find ways around um, getting them to do what I want them to do. But ultimately, the way I see it, it has to be them wanting to do it because it helps them in some way uh, rather than it being, oh, this is another task I need to do on top of what I'm already doing. It needs You need to show them the benefit. And a lot of times our practitioners are encountering the ones that are encountering struggles with all these other teams is because they think that, look at this amazing uh, thing that I'm doing called experimentation or CRO, A-B testing. Now, if only I, I take the good word to all these other people and share it with them, they will, they will come, you know, come over to the, to the light side or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the point is, it's not that easy. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah, reducing that friction is, is, is definitely a good step forward. But the priority to do that, the priority, why are we doing this? Why am I getting this product team to run experiments? Because one uh, rebuttal you will get straight away is, oh, why don't we just like launch this feature? Why do we need to test it? Because testing takes time, right? You can make it as easy as possible, but oh, it's going to be a few weeks before I get an answer. I can just launch it and I can get an answer straight away. And so it's that awareness of how we get these other people aware of that priority, aware of the benefits to them, and that starts changing them, hopefully. I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, push button. But from my point of view, like I look at it more from a behavioral point of view, the way I see it is if you're in an experimentation program and you're trying to grow it across the business, it's going to be more like Game of Thrones than anything else because you're going to be fighting against other people. You're going to be trying to charm and win favors and, and you know, t- take it across. Obviously, having having good software helps. but it's people well, at the know, end of the day. One of the things to get back to this key point that I keep coming back to again and again when I talk to programs is if you are asking a product team to use web experimentation solutions to for their work, you are setting yourself up for immediate failure. 
like they will not accept that. Um, what the if you want to get the product team to uh, adopt experimentation and optimization, you have to think in their world and put yourself in their shoes. They think in terms of feature release and feature management more than they think of classic CRO. So it, it's really important that you are able to communicate to them like, hey, listen, like you're going to have a control over here and they get that. Um, what do you say we like flag this feature and then we roll out a variant to that control and we just kind of like, you know, tweak it out. Like let's push it out to like, say, you know, a, a subset of the overall segment and Hey, listen, if your control works great, um, we'll know right away because you guys love to use X analytics tool fine, but it may be that this variant actually achieves like a higher, uh, rate of success. And if you frame it like this in terms of feature management, using feature flagging and feature experimentation, lo and behold, product and devs get excited about it because they are controlling release. They are controlling uh, their confidence levels and you're fitting into their sprint cycles and so on. But like telling them that you need to inject CSS or JS into their web code, eh, what? No, not. Why on earth would they do that? So um, again, in my experience, it also works really well if you have... um... When you talk to product teams uh, or, or development teams, um, they're usually really busy. They have a huge backlog of items to fix, and, and because they're, especially the development teams, they're not directly linked to the the users of the software. Oftentimes, unfortunately, they also have no way of uh, rebuilding whatever is on the backlog. So this has to be implemented. That's that's your job. Yeah, whatever they exactly. they cannot say no. And if you introduce an experimentation, a validation program, then you give them the tools to, to well, A, bring down the workload because, yes, experimentation takes time, but you don't often need to uh, fully implement something before you can validate uh, something. Uh, so that helps bring the workload down. And they might even be able to use that experimentation program to, to uh, reprioritize or even get rid of, I don't know, half the backlog because <laughs> they can then say to their whoever is managing their backlog saying, hey, but this, this actually doesn't make any difference <laughs> to our bottom line, uh, to the OKRs that you set for us. Uh, and, and often they are, a lot of those development teams um, are very frustrated because all the things they, they worked hard on and implemented, and then they get zero credit because, hey, it didn't work. Yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily their fault. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one this thing is that... a key point. Sorry, Sorry go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, you know, here we are. Uh, we're in the comment section, guys. We're just like the echo box, yeah. like bitching. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm like really trying to get uh, out I, and, and start to give advice. Like, how do you get out of this trap that you have set yourself up for? Yeah, yeah I, because I think we might, might have listeners, uh, we, we might have listeners uh, to the podcast that are indeed using that outdated uh, accounting software, um, <laughs> uh, don't have uh, top-down support that we spoke about. Uh, yeah. uh, they they might not have an ecosystem. They might be the only one, and they're now uh, uh, realizing this while listening to this podcast and thinking, "Shit, <laughs> wrong, what on wrong earth, job. Uh, do I <laughs> do I need to do?" So, what what yeah, what would be your uh, advice uh, to them? Um, go on a job uh, hunt or not at all. Like no. I came up, uh, uh, sorry, I took this one, manual. Apologies. Uh, but I was just going to no, no. flash this screen and ahead, see, see what you guys think. Like, cause it's a great question. It's easy to bitch and complain, right? It's a lot harder to solve. So, um, listen, this isn't perfect, but I just love this idea of what I call get on the bus. Um, 
And it starts with what Manuel said, which is uh, befriending a hippo. You know, hippo, highest paid uh, person's opinion in the room. Uh, we all know this one. So what I'm trying to point out there is like, wait a second, you're not going to get that top level support because you have no idea who is signing the checks on your experimentation program. You have not made your goals their goals or their goals, more importantly, your goals. So uh, until you befriend a hippo, and you are going to have no chance of like uh, scaling your experimentation program. And again, we're not talking about building a culture of experimentation or creating an ecosystem. We're simply talking about trying to move your program from good to what equals great. And uh, the great ones are always top-down led. Yeah. And one of the things that Hido said as well, just to kind of echo that point, was that when you go and approach these other people, it's all about them. It's never about you. So when you're talking to that development team or that product uh, manager, the baseline of that person that you need to be aware of is they do not care about your work. They do not care about running experiments because if those experiments inconvenience them and adds to that backlog, then they're not going to do it. And most people, when they're trying to introduce uh, uh, experimentation, if they go with the mindset of, I'm going to try and position uh, this as a way to help them. Hey, developer, it looks like you've got lots of features that you need to go out. But if I can validate these, it means you may not, if and if it's not successful, you may not need to develop it. I can reduce your backlog. Now you're talking to uh, about experimentation in their terms, and they're more likely to help you rather than hinder you. So th there is this exercise that I try and help with our, our customers. When you're looking at your organization, Firstly, you need to know who is signing your, uh, the checks and who is the overarching uh, senior manager, C-level, uh, who can help you. And even that person, you can't just say, I need help. You've got to try and make their goals your goals and show how experimentation can benefit them. Because once that line of sight is established, then they can help you with these other teams. So you've got the support and you start talking to people and you start getting that um, you start winning favors, essentially. That's what you're doing. You're doing a roadshow, but it's not about it. It's not even anything to do about A-B tests. That's, that's the end goal, but it's about these people that you're talking to and you're trying to um, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, if anything, to try and figure out how can we position this to help them. One thing that I see, because uh, I couldn't agree with you more, but just as a tip that I've seen uh, when we work with different clients, and we see this in agencies do this, solutions do this, it's always so result-oriented. It's like, hey, boss, look at me. I got an uplift of X percent. Well, guess what? He or she didn't even know the test existed, didn't even know that was a problem, and could have could continue to care less about your uplift yeah. or the results of your work. So I always uh, – when again, to avoid that problem, when you do go and talk to upper management, I really encourage everybody to, uh, to avoid feeding them results and focus on feeding them recommendations. It's like, look, we found X. And if we found that if we did Y, then it would actually result in Z. And so therefore, we are recommending, and we have got data that proves it, that you should do this and this. The other thing I've found that really helps like get that executive or that hippo buy-in because it's so important is you should know what your competitors are doing. There's listen, like as a practitioner of CRO, we use some applied behavioral science here. Like they're going to respond very well to like 
competitive threat. So if you can point out how uh, competitors are using experimentation or how they're recommending certain things to uh, your uh, shared customer base, then, oh, I guarantee you, you're going to have a much higher chance of getting their attention versus coming in with like, oh, we got a 7% lift, which if every single one of these conditions holds over the next 10 months would result in, you know, $300,000. Um, they know that's hogwash and, and they'll, they'll push back on you. Yeah. I got, I have a story to tell yeah, and that's on the back that. of that one, actually. Oh, um, so oh, nice. Well, I'll, I'll get back to you for, for, for sorry, just a, a small addition to, uh, if you're talking to, uh, to hippos uh, within your company, I think it, it often, uh, works very well. If, if you look for that CFO or BI team within your, your company, that's usually not the first ones, uh, uh, to talk to, but they very well know what makes money in the company or what's bleeding money in the company. Uh, and they're used to working with numbers. So that's an added benefit there. Uh, so those, those are usually uh, the people that are very receptive uh, for this. So, and, and, that, and that's your warm up story for the very exciting story that Manuel is now going to share. Well, hopefully with us. I can, I can, uh, I can live <laughs> up to that one. Uh, but we had a customer, uh, we have a customer who had this challenge when she went into quarterly all hands meetings with all the senior managers in the room and all the PMs and everything, and everyone had five minutes to present what they had worked on. And I remember her coming to what we call our, um, you know, monthly therapy sessions <laughs> and uh, talking about what happened. And she was like, well, you know, I'm just really feeling really defeated. I presented uh, to our team, but they just don't care. And it, they just feel like anything I'm talking about is really not worth their time and effort. I look around the room, no one cares. So I said, okay, fine. Show me what you've, what you've been presenting. And presented to me as if I was your uh, in that room right now, right? Five minutes, let's go. And I, I could see myself trailing off as well as she was talking. And I, I was making notes. But her slide deck was literally, here's an experiment. Here's the sc- screenshots. Here's the results. Here's what we learned. Here's the uplift. Next. I'm like, this is really, you know, who's in the room? C- CFO, CMO, uh, the CEO, right? Everyone's in the room. And I'm like, okay, right, right stop can this one when's the next when's the next meeting it's next week right you and i are going to work on this framework and i gave her a framework on what to present take all the experiments and throw it out i mean not literally just keep it to one side but on these slides you're going to basically present what insight have you learned right what insight have you learned do you have like any recommendations on the back of that right and what i want you to do is imagine who's in that room right now so jim Bob, whoever, right? If that insight is going to help them or give them some information, call them out and tell them. Um, and if there's anyone that supported you or helped you to get that insight, like a developer who helped build that test or a PM who actually ran that test or came up with the idea, call them out, right? Like, John, you helped me get this. Sarah, you helped me build this test. And Jim, this is going to help you do this because this insight gives us all this information we need. And if you want more information about this later, I have all the experiments we run on the back of that, which I can share with you, right? And now what you've done is you've piqued curiosity. And the next time when she came for our monthly therapy sessions, she was like, well, this is the the most um, like engagement I got in that meeting. But it highlighted two things for me. The first one is that people are asking questions. They were interested to learn more. But the second thing, it also highlighted how little they knew about what experimentation actually does. And that is the reality for a lot of people. It's like, 
they're sharing numbers and they're sharing stats and these wins and uplift, but no one knows what it means. And I use this example quite often. If you show me the, uh, the New York Stock Exchange dashboard or whatever that is, great, numbers are moving up and down. I don't understand it. I don't follow the stock exchange. Someone else will. I don't. So you might you know, wax lyrical about how amazing the stocks are today, but I wouldn't know anything. And your stakeholders are in that same position. You need to be prescriptive. You need to be giving them recommendations and you need to be sharing those insights and how it impacts. Again, the theme of this is how it impacts the different people. And if, if anything, um, like if there's anything I, I can say you should take away from this session, at least, is think about this fact. There are people in an organization. And if you want to change their minds and bring them into this experimentation way of working, it's all about them. It's not even about the tests. So we say something evocative like that. Uh, uh, it, it sounds contrarian, but it, it works. Use less data um, <laughs> void or void useless data is how another way of saying it. And, you know, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, make relationships like you're talking about. Don't make tests. You know, uh, when you start getting into uh, stats, you should pull back and focus on your storytelling. So the, one of the books I recommend is like, you know, the storytelling, uh, how the, the master the art of uh, storytelling, not mastering the art of experimentation, because you've already got that. Uh, you need yeah. to focus on like how to tell a better story. Um, you, you focus on people and I, I couldn't agree more, but, you know, again, maybe I'm just using a different word for it, but it's the silos, right? Like, you know, these silos have jobs that they have to get done. And if you don't yep. speak to those jobs, then you're just bashing your head up against a wall and you're going to get nowhere. So, um, yeah, put yourself in, in their shoes and always uh, know their jobs to be done. Absolutely. Uh, Lucas Vermeer, uh, previously booking, uh, did a lot, right? He, he, he um, did this, he, he told stories and uh, not necessarily to, to the people that uh, watch the results of the experiments, but to get experiments running, to get people excited about, yeah. uh, experiments. He told stories about statistics, <laughs> which of course, if you, if you just, uh, show them the math, uh, it's, it's very boring. If you tell them a story about why um the statistics are the way they are and uh all the stories that he told uh like the texas sharpshooter or uh the guy that walks um uh, into a cave with his bear with, with his friend uh, and there might be a bear in there are you going going to go in there or not uh sometimes you're willing to take the risk sometimes you're not um and um uh, we have we have an episode with lucas uh, uh, on that I'll, I'll link to that in in, in the comments yeah, another thing, booking again, like to circle back to this topic, the rat is like they're like Manuel, you mentioned is they're often held as this, you know, the end all be all. They figured it out. And again, I don't think that they figured it out. Um, I do think that they have advanced uh, very well uh, for the company that they are. And, and they just deserve to be congratulated on that. But what's really cool and unique about a certain type of company, for instance, booking is that, and this sounds again, contrary to say is that the testing isn't the point it's the it's the means to an end it's no one wakes up at booking says i'm can't wait to show my boss this ab test not at all it's like i've got a great idea i think it could work i'm going to roll out a control we have a control i'm going to roll out a variant a or b or c however many you want and we're going to let the customers decide what actually works and the testing is just just taking place behind the scenes. And I think that's the real success of booking is that 
um, they managed to make experimentation uh, successful without making it about experimentation. Yeah, the, there has to be a certain level of freedom over there in terms of like, I want to achieve something. Experimentation will is basically there to help me either validate or move the needle forward. And that's pretty much it. And it could maybe move it forward. Maybe it might not, but ultimately that's the point of experimentation. It's like this humility and saying like, I have an idea, it may result in something, or I'm trying to explore something new and it, it might not uh, result in anything. But that's why I think when we're looking at good to great programs, it's like that freedom and humility to try out things, to be able to go out and, and get people to say, if, you know, we, we're going to introduce you to this way of, of validating your features through feature flags or whatever. But ultimately, is that sh to show you that the work that you're doing, are you running in the wrong direction fast or are you running in the right direction with all these uh, you know, experiments that you're running? And that's just a means to an end. And th that's, I think, how we need to reframe experimentation. So the, the, the great programs will manage to do that quite well. Absolutely. I feel like this is uh, going into the direction of uh, renaming uh, the way our industry. Uh, oh, no. I've, I've, I've gone past that, man. I've gone past <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. There's no renaming. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, is I do, no, but, uh, uh, the, I, I do use the word, like, uh, we, we use the word here at Chameleon. We use web experimentation. It often, but and often we mean classic conversion rate optimization. We really cater to, like, um, you know, the classic marketing led growth uh, side of the company when we talk about CRO, but we increasingly use the word feature experimentation uh, to refer to product led growth, right? So um, it is the names are evolving. Um, I think we all have figured out that don't try to come up with super name. Uh, instead, just come up with like, again, be centric, uh, be person centric, be silo centric and acknowledge that, you know, how they look at it, you should call it that. And that they, and how they look at it, you should Absolutely. call it this. Absolutely. Uh, going back to that story I said about that lady who presented in that meeting, she said, one of the uh, engineering managers said, so basically what you're doing is you're building a prototype, right? And she thought she took offense to that. And I was like, no, no, no. Don't take offense to that. Own the word. Take that word. And the next time you refer back to that engineering manager said, hey, we've built a prototype and we're going to test this prototype, but start building the definition of this variation into the prototype. So now you own the word. They don't own it. You're speaking their language. Take the words they're using to describe things. And it's fine. It doesn't mean we should not be, um, you know, uh, quite um, snobbish about the words we use but if someone's calling it you know a prototype great we'll use that and we'll get yeah, them on our side one. yeah so b b before you start before you set your job title or or the the, the title of uh, of your department do a survey first and and see what, what people would call whatever you're doing and that's how you're going to name your department and prototype your but you can personalize it right you can be a prototype creator to one you can be an A-B tester to another one. You can be an experimentation guru Even to someone better. else, right? That's you right. That's personalize right. the experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Hey, uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for, for the insights uh, into uh, this topic. Uh, my final question for, for you both actually uh, would be, I'd like to know what are you working on right now? What are you excited about? Uh, are you going to a fun event uh, the next couple of months or organizing something? Uh, what are you doing? A big thing that is exciting me right now is uh, what we're working on at Effective Experiments. 
something around building quality into experimentation program into experimentation programs. Uh, one of the things we recently released is health scores, which is really helping our customers understand whether they're building quality experiments and not just running by the numbers experiments. So, and that, and then as I dig further into this experimentation ecosystem concept, I'll be putting out a lot more content around that in the next few weeks and months, depending on when you're listening to this. But uh, that concept really excites me because I feel like that we finally have a way forward from culture, I guess. But that's a topic for a different discussion. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I'll, I'll, let Very me cool. know when the content is out, then we can do another podcast. On Absol- that one. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a different label for that award, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can pass her over it, uh, and then, uh, we'll, we'll fix that. Uh, and wait, not not <laughs> last but not least, what what's Crow Cafe up to? Uh, hopefully, more and more podcasts, right? Oh, well, that's that's, uh, that's and 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 the great thing is that uh, the podcast is now uh, basically like a franchise. Uh, it's, it's Dutch, it's English, it's Spanish, it's German, uh, so it's expanding. Uh, wow. and it's really, uh, um, yeah, it makes me really proud to to see that. Uh, uh, it's it's spreading. <laughs> if it's a culture, I don't know, but it's spreading. <laughs> we we were there in the early years. Remember, like uh, you know, when you first set set it up. Um, how how many yeah, years has it been? Four or five years now, I think. Uh, started January two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, quite a while. Wow, quite a while. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. good, man. That, that's the sole reason I survived this whole pandemic, being able to talk to. Uh, <laughs> two people <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good nice story day, guys. Uh, thank you so much uh, Manuel from Effective Experiments and uh, Colin from uh, Chameleon uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this uh, episode and I uh, hope to talk to you uh, soon hopefully live thank you Manuel thank, thank you, you. Keto. thanks Colin Keto. bye bye bye